very glad to be with you and bring you greetings from Northwoods Baptist Church. And I'm not on vacation. Actually, I need to slip back after this service uh, to preach at our church, so you can be praying for me along that line. Um, also, I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you, and, uh, but I'm sorry that your pastor is ill, and uh, we've been praying for him, and I'm sure you are as well. He's a friend of mine, and uh, I appreciate him as well as quite a number of the men that I know from here. And um, so let's uh, begin with prayer this morning, and then we'll look into the Word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to come to your house and to uh, your scriptures, to, to consider your work in our lives. And uh, we pray that we would be benefited by being here and our spirits would be challenged, and Lord, uh, for any who do not know you, O oh God, that you might work a work in their lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, earlier this month, there was a rather well-known, although I didn't know him, but uh, I don't know a lot, but uh, a rather well-known um, person who um, has their Ph.D. in theology, uh, well-respected, and uh, wrote articles for a well-known ministry, I'm sure you would know it if I mentioned it, who came out and said, I am no longer a Christian. And this is not the first time this has happened. It is a little shock to the system. We think about this, and what I'd like to do today is ask this question, although there are many questions that could be asked. I want to ask and look into the Scripture to answer this question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Now, there are various answers, various definitions that the world might give, and even the church might give. There are some simple answers and some complex ones. What is a Christian? How do you answer that question? Particularly if someone were to ask you that. Well, the name Christian appears in the New Testament. Did you know that? But only on three occasions. Three different forms of the word. It occurs twice in the singular and once in the plural. So we're going to go and look at those in a moment. But we want to ask, why so few times in the New Testament, especially when it is the most recognized and exclusive name for believers in Jesus Christ? So let's turn to these passages. We'll turn to Acts 11.26. Acts 11.26. Barnabas went to find Saul, who became the apostle Paul, in verse 26, it says, and when, they had found, and when he had found him, 
He brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And this is really the history and the source of the name. I mean, we can point to right here as to when this began. Then over to Acts 26 and verse 28. In a short time, it says, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time you would persuade me to be a Christian. This is a little later in the ongoing mission work of the uh, church into the world. And Paul, the apostle, has been placed in jail at this point. He's been there for a while. And he is making his defense before Agrippa. And Agrippa stops him and says, in a short time you would persuade me to be a Christian. We see from this really the content and the teaching which establishes the name Christian. Because Paul had before this been giving him arguments about the Christian faith. Then finally in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. I'll read verse 15 as well. 1 Peter 4.15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And this, I believe, deals with the content, a conduct of the one who bears the name Christian. If you suffer, not as a murderer, but rather because you are a Christian, then glorify God in that name. So we have here the history, the content, and the conduct of those associated with the name Christian. You can look at those on your own. We just want to deal with the first of these three, really the history and the source of the name found in Acts chapter 11. So, the question, what is a Christian? Well, in 11.26 at the end it says, And in Antioch the disciples were named, were first called Christians. So here was the place and the moment that the name was coined. The name was given to a people who long before were known as disciples. I mean, that's what it says. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And Antioch may have been the place, but the disciples were the people. And a disciple back then was a learner or a pupil, someone who followed a teacher around. You didn't Apply to a university, you found a teacher, and you followed him, and you learned from him. The word disciple is disciple over 260 times in the New Testament. And Jesus' disciples 
followed him, and we see that they believed in him, and they learned from him. And of course, later they taught everything that he gave them. And of course, we speak of the 12 disciples whom he named apostles. But the term Christian meant little Christ, a diminutive form. The name Christian meant a follower of Jesus. And the source of the name is not the Christians themselves. I don't know if you noticed that, but they were first called Christians in Antioch. It was others who observed them and listened to them and rubbed shoulders with them And they're the ones who named them Christians. And they dubbed them or they branded them by their most distinguishing characteristic. Or rather by the person that they most clearly represented and proclaimed the Lord Jesus Christ. Whom a number of them had seen die and raised from the dead. They believed in Christ, they preached Christ, they lived for Christ, they worshipped Christ. And their lives were so influenced by Christ, and their conduct was so different from those who named them, that it seemed the best way to describe them. So they called them Christians. I just wondered, as a test for any and all of us, who call ourselves Christians, would those who know you who are not believers be able to call you a Christian simply by observing your daily routine? Are you so influenced by Christ, so connected to Christ, and your conduct so different from the world that they would have no difficulty labeling you or me? This name Christian was probably meant to be somewhat derisive at the time, kind of a a source of mockery. Tacitus, the Roman historian and senator, writing near the end of the first century, makes this statement about them. He says, the vulgar call them Christians. That was not a, a good way to put it. You get this sense from Peter that we read earlier, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And it anticipates insult. But in the early days, believers neither chose the name nor used it. And I think that's why we don't see it in the New Testament very often. But it later became the family name. Josephus, the Jewish historian, was born not long after Jesus' death, says this. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. 
listen to this, his last statement, and the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. At that point, it was not only derisive, but it was their family name. It was their tribe. They were named Christians. What is a Christian? Well, a Christian is a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus. Of course, there's more to it than that, isn't there? When we look at Acts 11, we wonder what factors led those in Antioch to name them Christians. What was, what was it all about? Well, to start with, we want to we look back at Acts chapter 10. We won't read anything from there, but just to give you an idea that something important happened in Acts chapter 10. Something rather shocking to the church in Jerusalem. Cornelius was a centurion and a Greek, a Gentile, and everyone in his house believed when they heard the preaching that Peter came to give. And the problem was they were Gentiles. The Jews in Jerusalem challenged Peter when he came back. And Peter told them what happened. He went in there, he preached the gospel to them, and the Spirit of God come, came on them. And it was obvious that they had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The same way that he had come on the Jews on the day of Pentecost. There was no doubt in their minds. And look at Acts 11 and verse 18. This is where we'll begin. Acts eleven eighteen. Speaking of those Jews who challenged Peter, it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. That is, they shut their mouths. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You realize something had happened and God was in this. This was major. It was of God. And it was only the beginning, and we can be very thankful for that. Because I bet most of us are Gentiles without any Jewish blood flowing through our veins. In verse 19 it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. They likely headed to the synagogues in those places. <clears throat> this is the way the Apostle Paul handled it when he went on a missionary journey. The first place he went was this, to the synagogue, and this was appropriate. Paul himself said that the gospel was to the Jew first. Romans 1.16. Notice verse 20, Acts 11.20. But there were some of them... Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. They, pre they preached to the Greek speakers. They preached to the Gentiles. The Christian gospel had gone to the Isle of Cyprus. One of our sons-in-law is a, is a Cypriot. I know where he is now. The Isle of Cyprus but it had not only gone to the Isle of Cyprus, it also went from the Isle of Cyprus 
to Antioch. Cyrene was in Libya on the African continent. And the disciples from Cyrene also made their way to Antioch about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Quite a project. You know, Antioch, if you'll remember, was really the center of missionary work. work. It was the hub for missionary enterprise where the gospel missions began. But we read in Acts 11 that Antioch was evangelized and the church established by these disciples from Cyprus and Cyrene. They went up there and told people about Jesus. But she asked, why Antioch? Why did they head for that spot? Well, it was a major city. Actually, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. About a half a million people, they estimate. It was cosmopolitan. It was Greek-speaking, so everybody could understand them. And it was very wicked. But you see, the gospel is for sinners. Did you know that? Where better to go than where a lot of sinners reside? And at this point, we should note Christians start out as sinners. A.N. Martin said, one of the many things which distinguishes the Christian faith from other religions of the world is that Christianity is essentially a sinner's religion. According to the Bible, a Christian is a person who has faced realistically the problem of his own personal sin. This is not the case with unbelievers Normally, most men think they are okay. Most men know they have done wrong, but when pressed about their standing before God one day, they really believe there is enough good in them or they've done enough good things or God is going to be is enough lenient that it's going to be okay, that they're going to get over heaven's threshold. They really don't believe that they are that bad or they believe God overlooks pretty much everything after all because God is love. However, may you say again, the Christian is a person who has faced realistically the problem of his own personal sin. He knows he's guilty. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he can do nothing about it himself. Our conclusion from Acts 11 here on what is a Christian. A Christian is one who knows he is a sinner. That's where he starts. No one is born a Christian in the biblical sense. It is not Jewish. No one is a Christian because their parents are Christians. Understand that if you're a child in a, in a Christian home. It's not ethnic and it's not hereditary. Nor is it regional or rural or urban. Franklin Graham remarked about the Faroe Islands. He preached there and he said this. Listen carefully. The vast majority of the population today consider themselves Christians. For many of them, however, the Christian label is primarily an historical and cultural identity. It has nothing to do with the soul. That's scary. We find that here too. 
But that's not what we find in the book of Acts. In Acts 11.20, again, we read, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. This was a necessary element. It's the essence of their message. This person, not only who lived a righteous life or did miracles or was a good teacher, but also went to the cross and died and rose again the third day. It was the preaching of the gospel, the word of God. It was the essence of their message, and with good reason, if men are sinners and they cannot do anything about it themselves, then they need a Savior. Remember, we said unbelievers dubbed them or branded the disciples by their most distinguishing characteristic, or rather by the person they most surely represented and proclaimed, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who they came preaching, and that is who they were named after. And after it mentions these folks in Cyprus and Cyrene in verse 20, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. These disciples who preached the Lord Jesus were not alone. It says, The hand of the Lord was with them. God was involved. God was working through them and through their preaching. Men and women, a great number of the residents of Antioch who believed, it says, turned to the Lord. A Christian is a Christian because of God. No one is a Christian because he's a good person. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. It's not like just unacceptable. They're like disgusting. No one is a Christian because he attends a church or is even a member of a church, even a good church. Charles Swindoll said, you don't become a car by spending a time in a garage. And you don't become a Christian by spending time in a church. It's not something that rubs off or is gathered up or just happens or simply is understood. In verse 20, it says, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A Christian is one who believes. When the Gentiles first believed, the Jews, when they heard these things, fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles, God also has granted, God also has granted repentance that leads to life. We ask repentance from what? Well, repentance from sin. It is the sin we own. It is the sin we hide. It is the sin with which we are guilty. Repentance from sin is a turning away from it. And in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. There is a turning away from sin, and there is a turning to the Lord. A Christian is a person who has faced realistically the problem of his own personal sin. 
Have you do, done that? Have you contemplated your own situation before God? Christian is a Christian because of God. God grants repentance and God gives faith. Man sinned miserably and God provided a remedy in the death of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So may I say Christianity has a divine source. It is not a club or an organization or a network. It's not a fraternity or a sorority. It's not a technique or a concept or a way to live better or healthier or wealthier. It's none of those things. It has nothing to do with homeschooling or health food. It has nothing to do with conservative politics or social reform. Christianity has its source in God. God chooses them and Christ saves them. Christians are connected to, devoted to, wedded to, and obedient to Christ. Christians are chosen in Christ. They are called by a divine summons. They were called Christians by the Gentiles, but they are truly called by God. Romans 1.6, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Romans 1.7, called to be saints. Romans 8.28, called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians 1.9, called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.15, called to peace. Galatians 1.6, called in the grace of Christ. Galatians 5.13, called to freedom. Ephesians 4.4, called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Colossians 3.15, called in one body. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, called through the gospel so that we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called. In 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. 2 Timothy 1.9, called to a holy calling. 1 Peter 5.10, called to his eternal glory in Christ. 2 Peter 1.3, called to his own glory and excellence. Revelation 17.14, those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Christians are called. But really, it's as simple as Jesus calling James and John and Matthew and Mark. He saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who is called, and he is one who follows. He hears the voice of the shepherd, and he follows. He is one who has faced realistically the problem of his own personal sin. A Christian is one who has repented of his sin and believed in Christ. A Christian is one who has turned from his sin and turned to God. Remember the publican 
And the Pharisee and the publican just said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Forsook his sin to believe in God and repent. Well, Acts 11.22 says the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. What it was taking place in Antioch, they got wind of it. And it says, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. Or when he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Word had gotten back and something had taken, that something had taken place in Antioch. So they sent someone they trusted to check out the report. And Barnabas, when he came, it says he saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God. We ask, what did he see? What was going on there? He saw people who had been involved in all sorts of wickedness transformed. A Christian is one who has been transformed. We call it being born again or born from above. Things were this way, but not any longer they are this way. Before he couldn't see, now he does see. A Christian is one who's been transformed. And may I say, Christians aren't perfect, but they are changed. They've been the recipients of grace. And they've been saved by grace. They're being transformed by grace. And they are forever grateful for sovereign grace. What is a Christian? It's a person who has been and is being transformed by the grace of God. And you may struggle, you may have difficulties, but if the grace of God is at work, there's lots of encouragement there. In verse 23... We read that Barnabas exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And I say, what is a Christian? A Christian is one who sticks. A Christian is one who sticks. And we understand it is a marathon, not a sprint. It is a long-term project lasting your whole life long. And... More than a marathon, I think, um, I ran cross-country in high school one year. It was terrible. But uh, anyway, it wasn't just running on the road. We ran through the, the trail and the, and the bush, and, and there were potholes, and there were things, and you could stumble and get off the trail, and uh, it wasn't pretty. And that's the Christian life. But the Christian sticks. When he faces trouble, he sticks. He goes to God with his troubles. He struggles with sin. And he wars with the world. And he fights the devil. He falls and he gets up. And he falls again. And he gets up. And he keeps getting up. She fails. She sins. But she repents. And she gets up. And she's sorry. 
But she keeps on. The Christian walks with God and keeps on walking. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. You put it down. You mark it down. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to let anyone let me step aside. Brethren, we are told at the end that there will be a falling away, and perhaps we are beginning to see that. Don't be a statistic. But for the pilgrim, the progress is essential. And the journey is not over until he gets to the celestial city. When all the crowds left Jesus, do you remember Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, one of his best moments, folks, he said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. A Christian knows and believes that there is only one way. There is only one hope. There is only one remedy. There's only one door. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. His is an exclusive faith. It is the straight gate and the narrow way. And he must persevere all the while that God is preserving him. Have you believed? Are you a Christian? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul to this difficult church. He says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why? God is going to reward someday. Keep at it. Colossians 1.23, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed. Paul is saying, keep going. A Christian is one who sticks. We're getting closer to answering the question, what factors led those in Antioch to name the disciples Christians? Again, we read in verse 24 of Acts 11, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Well, 24 again says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. We wonder, what does that mean? What does it mean they were added? Well, it certainly means they now belong to him. But practically, they were added to what already belonged to him. Christians were added to other Christians. And new Christians were added to older Christians. It is what we call the church. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who congregates. He joins with other Christians. He meets with the church, just like Barnabas and Saul did with this largely Gentile conglomeration. Remember, Saul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and he was rubbing shoulders with all these Gentiles. But a Christian actually likes doing it. 
He likes being with other Christians who have been bought with the same blood and drawn by the same love. You love congregating with God's people. Barnabas went to find and to retrieve Saul. Why did he do that? Because there were a lot of people coming in and he needed help. So he went to find Saul. Barnabas went after Saul, who later became Paul. He was feared by the Jewish Christians, but unknown to the Gentiles. And Barnabas knew that Saul was a true Christian and one who could help this growing church. And so he went and got him and brought him. And it was there that a great many people were taught the message. They were taught the truth. They were instructed in the way of salvation and the apostles' doctrine. And they were taught about God and they were taught about the gospel. And they were taught about living like a Christian, even though they weren't named that yet. And this is the very background for Luke's declaration. So Barnabas, in verse 25, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who is taught. He is a learner, a disciple, follower, one that just can't get enough. He's got to have more. He's got to know more about Jesus a follower of the teachings and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now you see we've come full circle. We started with disciple. We've come back to disciples. And folks, if you're a Christian, you should be a disciple. The conjunction and should help us. It says and in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians. The and connects us with what just took place over the past year. For a whole year, they taught the church. It was through, there were regular meetings and regular gatherings and regular teaching from the Old Testament scripture and from the apostles. Many were taught and many believed and many were added and many were changed. And it was through the regular ministry of the church that those outside the church took note of these odd and strange people who just couldn't stop talking about Jesus because he had done something amazing for them and in them and through them. And it was there that the disciples were first called Christians. You know, it couldn't have happened in Jerusalem. The word Christ is the Greek for Messiah. The Jews would never have suggested such a name. It would remind them of this one they saw as an imposter. So they wouldn't have called him that. But by the providence of God, we know where it all started. 
We know what it was that provoked the Gentiles to name them this. It was the change that took place over all this time. And we also know what it is to be a Christian. It's in the Scriptures. You still wonder? Go and read and look and listen and learn and find out. It's to your soul's benefit. And I just ask you this. Seriously, are you a Christian? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are speaking about sober things when we think of the destiny of our souls. It's not a matter of semantics and what someone is called or not called, but Lord, whether the relationship with God has been met and we have been forgiven of our sins. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, oh God, will you call them today? Will you show them the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ? For God has demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, may we see that. May they see that today. And Lord, for any of us, oh God, who are just playing the part, we pray, oh God, that you might show us the deficiencies there, that we might be followers, truly changed, truly transformed and transforming by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.